Greetings and welcome to another Different Church Podcast. My name is Jarrett, and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.38 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. And what you are about to listen to is one of my favorite uh, services that we do. Probably like three times a year, we give the band the week off and we do something called biography. <clears throat> Basically, we take the microphone and hand it over to the people in the seats and we invite uh, some of our people to tell some personal stories about their life or lives. That would be a better way to say that or life, either one, but live, that was definitely not the right way to say it. Um, <clears throat> and then each time we pick a, uh, a loose theme and we don't give a whole lot of instructions and we just kind of let people go from there. So this biography is about hope. Every single time we do one of these, I'm just blown away at the wisdom that just sits around me every Sunday and being able to hear people's stories is just so cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm amazed by the quality of people that we have at our church. Thank you so much if you are uh, among those. And if you are someone who listens to the podcast every week, that's you too. Uh, so, um, this is going to be a longer episode than you're used to, and there's going to be a lot of banter and I'm, I'm leaving myself in doing all of the intros for each speaker. So most of the jokes should make sense, but it starts off with one that I, uh, have to explain. Um, it, do you ever watch SNL? I love SNL. I think it's awesome. Uh, I always think it's funny that at the beginning, you know, you're like watching the news and then it fades to black. And then the first thing that you hear is like laughter. And I always wonder what they tell the crowd, like, Hey, even though nothing's happening yet, just laugh so that whenever it starts, um, the people at home are like, Oh yeah, this is exciting. So I, that's what I told everybody in the audience to do. So without further ado, Oh man, good morning, everybody. How's it going? That's so kind of you. You didn't have to give me that welcome. Oh, how's everybody doing today? We got a great show for you tonight. Coldplay is here. That's like, I just, I went with Coldplay. That probably tells you more about me than I want to let on. It wasn't like a cool current artist. Coldplay. Be Beyonce. Beyonce is here, everybody. Woo! Um, okay, so today is uh, different. If you've been before, usually there's like music going on right now. Uh, if you've never been here before, usually there's music going on right now. Yeah. We, uh, we pretty much, other than Coldplay and Beyonce, I think we have like the best band around, right? So if you haven't been here to hear the band, come back next week. They're awesome. Um, maybe like three-ish times a year, we give them the week off and we do this thing called biography. So that's what today is. Today is biography and it is like a storytelling event. If you came here today to hear like an amazing message preached by our pastor, first of all, she usually doesn't do that. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Give it up for our like most qualified tech volunteer ever. Hannah's back here running Pro Presenter. How many years of Bible college did you go to? A lot. Also, she can click like next, next. <laughs> uh, no, she's amazing. Like uh, part of the reason we started this church is because I think she's brilliant, and I think more people need to hear what she has to say. And yeah, yeah. 
And you will get a chance to hear from her. She's going to go last today. It's going to be kind of like more of a story, less of a sermon. So come back next week if you want to hear like an actual like church service. Are we doing Jonah next week? Do we start with Jonah? She's looking it up. We're, we're getting into like nerdy Bible stuff here pretty soon. Okay. Do you know what next week is? I'm quizzing you. Third week of July. Yeah. It's planned. It's on the calendar. I just don't remember what it is, and I don't want to make her look it up. So uh, next week, nerdy Bible stuff. Today, storytelling, and it's going to be from the people in the audience. Uh, yeah, this is one of my favorite things we do. We kind of turn the microphone over to you. Um, each time we do a biography, we pick a theme. Uh, this theme is hope. That's the only instruction that we give. You know, they could take it this way or that way or that way or that. I don't know what that is. This is weird. Uh, so today, we're talking about hope. I'm really excited. We've got four people plus Hannah. Um, so without further ado, let's get the first one going. You remember that crazy clap we did at the beginning? Do that again for Joe! Hi, everybody. Yes, I'm nervous. Apparently, Hannah thought that, you know, I'll be less nervous than Jordan, so she decided to put me first. So, here it goes. <laughs> um, so, Hannah asked for the bios to be around the topic of hope, which I think is a great idea, something um, I would say I have a lot of. But for you to understand why is it that I have hope in many areas of my life, you need a picture of the not-so-pretty parts of it. So let's start with my childhood. I grew up in a very conservative Pentecostal family where my grandparents on both sides are leaders or pastors. I have cousins who are also pastors or leaders of their church. Basically, my entire family from both sides are religious. Though I suffer like many of you through church trauma, which I'll get into more later, it wasn't all bad. I actually enjoy going to church. I discovered my passion for singing and helping people. I love going to church more than my parents to the point that if they didn't feel like going to our service, I will ask someone from church to pick me up because I didn't want to miss it. As I grew up, my goal was clear. I wanted to be a worship leader and even consider the possibility of becoming a pastor one day. You would think coming from a family of so many leaders and pastors, this would have been an easy thing, but no. I always had those close around me telling me I wasn't good enough that unless I was a great singer, um, and I'll make a reference that you probably won't know, it's a Spanish singer called Luis Miguel, which is basically like the Spanish Frank Sinatra, who he actually sang with uh, once. Um, they said they, they would never invest in my singing. All I would hear often was the word no, and my sovereign self would use that as ammunition to keep pushing and keep proving these people around me wrong. Then came middle school, one of the worst periods of my life. I was bullied every single day. For what you may ask, I would have asked me back then, I would say, because I was different for being a Christian. But the names they would call me, gay and other toxic names that I just would rather not repeat. What made all of this even harder was knowing deep down that they were right, but in my mind, if I wanted to achieve my goals, being gay was never an option. Fast forward to high school, my family and I moved to the US and I get really involved with the church, 
we were attending to the point I became the worship leader. I was the pastor's right hand and worked as a teacher in the church's private school. I had never felt so important in my life and so close to achieving all my goals I had since I was little. As time passes by, I'm now in my mid-20s, still a virgin because I was saving myself for the right woman who I would marry, never had even kissed a person. So I started struggling in life because I was trying to juggle so much, I began to feel really lonely. And even though I tried really hard finding a girl, and I, and I was to church standards, an ideal candidate, no one wanted to date me. My so-called friends would use me and then toss me aside when I wasn't needed any longer. In that loneliness, I began to explore those feelings and desire I had fought for so long to keep at, at bay. I then go into severe depression that unfortunately no one noticed because I was so good at hiding, struggling with the person I had worked hard to build and with the person I knew I really was, how everything could fall apart. But one day I just told God, enough, I'm done struggling. If this was so bad, you will have taken it away all the many times that I prayed for it. I'm done fighting. This is who I am. I'm tired of being an imposter. I come out to the church and the family. My church asked me to step down. Everything I work for, I lose. But I had never felt so relieved in my life after letting go of that big lie that was holding me down. I decided it's time to focus on me and me only. I made, unfortunately, very poor choices um, after I came out, which I paid consequences for. But in the process, I discover who I really was. I finally meet this ginger who is talking today, <laughs> who completely changed my life for the better. Together, we have both conquered many traumas. We both suffer, and because of it, it might have hurt each other with that baggage. But we have been there for each other, lift each other up, found good, solid foundations we, were, we could go individually and together. Because of it, we found different church. And little by little, everything that got taken away from me because of who I was, I have gained back and better here. Also because of who I am and because of that. I continue to have hope and encourage you to always have hope because it will most likely get worse before it gets better. That's it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, oh, man. We're going to have to do one of these one day where it's just like the comedy version. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Heck yeah, why not? And I mean, I roast her enough, she should get to roast me, probably. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is really cool. I don't think that we've ever done one where, like, two of the speakers are engaged to each other. So that's happening right now. Jordan, get your ginger self up here. <laughs> Oh my god, I literally probably know like what an inmate feels like when they walk to death row, because I have like such bad stage fright. Like somebody served me my last meal. Okay. So, um, a time in my life that I had hope. One of my biggest fears, uh, obviously, is stage fright. 
Um, I was really nervous to come up here today, but when Hannah asked me to speak, I couldn't turn down the opportunity because I had a fear that's much bigger than that. It also took me like a week to get back to her because I was like, I don't know. So, um, The way to handle things is not to go around them, but instead go through them, a wise person once told me, and that's exactly what I ended up having to do. There's a universal saying, don't let fear control you. Well, I let fear control me, and in return, I could have lost everything that was important to me. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, um, probably not as traditional as some other people. Um, but even with that, I mean, my, uh, my mom, she, she, never, she never had anything against gay people. She actually found them very entertaining. Um, <laughs> like Will and Grace kind of entertaining, you know? So, um, you know, and, and for any reason, if I ever saw a gay person or I asked, like, you know, like, what's that or something, you know, she'd be like, oh, well, you know, love is love. And she would say, and I do not believe that God would ever punish somebody for love. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So when I came out at, at 16, at first, while my mom was accepting at first, um, that did change quick, quickly, unfortunately, once we started to dive into the religious aspects of it and had input from church leaders and more traditional people at the time. Um, for the next couple years, I would go on to being at church every Sunday, youth group every Wednesday night, and weekly meetings from the church counselor and or the youth group pastor. I was told by these counselors continually that it was a sin and never something that I could act on, and that if I tried hard enough, I could change. I just had to make the decision if I really wanted it bad enough, and if I didn't, I would go to hell for that. The vision and reality of hell was something that they made sure I truly understood deep in my soul and that it was a consequence of these actions, um, which led me to a fear of hell and also recurring nightmares that at times I would have a few times a night and wake up in tears, which is something I never even told anybody about. I was also told that my orientation was a, was a type of sexual perversion and that the love I wanted was nothing more than an addiction and a deception from Satan and that I could fight this and that it was also a psychological condition, which also, um, separately at that time, I was also struggling with mental illness because that is something that does run in my family. So I had that going on at the same time just to add to it. I and my family are even told that even no one knows for sure, there are many factors that could have caused my uh, orientation, such as my dad not being around a lot when I was younger because of his job, and now that I was older, my need for same-sex bonding was manifesting itself in this unnatural form, which later on as an adult I realized scientifically is not true. Um, but also, even if my dad was not physically present, he was always there for me, and he always loved me, and is literally the most amazing dad in the whole world. And, um, and I'm not just saying that just because he's my dad, because um, I'm pretty sure I don't know that he's, he's even listening right now. Uh, <laughs> um, but he's the most amazing dad in the whole world. And he's always been there for me and protect me in ways I haven't even fully realized until I got much older and that God really, truly did bless me with him. I was also told another factor could be that maybe I was sexually abused, even if I didn't remember it, because sometimes we dissociate that if it happens when we're so young, which also, in my case, is not true. And scientifically, that is not true either. Um, For inspiration, the church counselor um, also introduced me to an ex-gay man who um, was now married to a woman. Um, 
and though he was a really nice person and everything, very sweet, very helpful, and very good at heart, and you know, really had good intentions. Um, looking back, I can kind of see he was clearly not so ex-gay. Um, <laughs> now looking back at it as an adult, um, and what com whatever conversion he did set out to do, um, I don't think it worked, but A for effort, you know. Um, he, um, he, the pastor also had him give me a conversion therapy type book, which I still keep to this day. Um, it's called You Don't Have to Be Gay, which by myself as a teenager, I would just sit in my room and read continuously for some type of answers. Um, and the weird thing was like, before I met Joe, like some people I did date, like, you know, like if I was just going through stuff in my closet, people would be like, why do you have a conversion gay therapy book? Like, do I need to know something? And I'm like, it's, I'm like, it's not what you think. I'm like, it's actually probably much worse. Um, <laughs> Um, the church, the church counselor, he would always tell me that I needed to do this for God, and I also needed to do this for my family, and that I couldn't let them down, and that this could be the thing that either brings my family together and heals us more than we could have ever have been, or this could be the thing that could break us up in ways, and it was up to me to do the right thing and keep this together, and that I realize now in therapy as an adult, even though everything is okay within my family now, I mean, it's actually really amazing. Um, I still had that in my mind. I still held on to that shame and I guess that obligation without even realizing it, that I didn't want to let them down. Um, at the same time at school, I was also being really severely bullied because um, for any of you who are like under like 21 or 22, um, even though like in 2010, like being gay was like a little bit more accepted. It's not like it is now. And people weren't coming out as much as they did back then. So I was like, one of two or three, all the closeted people just stayed hidden for like the next decade. So, um, but at this point in my life every day, I just had a sick feeling in my stomach. Nightmares when I slept about hell. I felt lost and isolated from people in the world as well as constant anxiety and a deep self-hatred and shame of myself and that God could never love me for who I am. Um, but by the age of 19, my parents actually became very fully affirming and accepting of me. Um, and very quickly, I might add, so I'm not sure where that came from. But, um, but they loved me so much. And my mom has said that finally she had just prayed for understanding and peace because none of this had ever felt right to her. It, did, it just it didn't mix. It didn't feel right. It never did. The things, that she, the things that she was learning on the surface from church and stuff, and that it was not having a good effect. Um, and she didn't see that in other people as well. So she said she had prayed for understanding and peace, and what she got back from God, that everything was already okay. And I was just okay already as I was, and everything is all right. And she also took a second look at, um, at her beliefs and everything, and theologically even started to have some different opinions. Um, or as I like to say in the book of Matthew, as Jesus says about the parable of the good and bad trees, when the fruit ain't cute, it's time to move on. <laughs> so for over a decade after that, I thought I was okay and healed, and I had actually moved on in my life. And many of these experiences, memories, even be, even the specifics of it, they were very distant, and I couldn't even remember them and even, even anymore. It wasn't until in 2021, 
after certain similar circumstances occurred around me, and some even directed at me, um, some from a coworker at a job I had and where it wasn't um, as friendly environment to being gay, to the church I had started to go to, to some individuals that had entered my life and vicariously entered my life, to even what I was just hearing on the news or what I heard like in a TV show or something. It just, something awakened all this again. It just seemed everywhere I looked, this was all around me again and I could not get away from it. It felt like a horror, is anybody here like, does anybody here like horror movies? You do, okay. So you'll get this reference. Uh, <laughs> it felt like a horror movie when the victim is faced with the monster and they can't believe after 25 years it still exists and that it came back and they have to face it once and for all. Again, very slowly, the daily sick feeling of anxiety, dread and grief started to cloud my life and I had that sick feeling in my stomach all the time again. I started to withdraw from my friends. I barely visited my family anymore. Um, I became very spaced out to the point that my mom kept asking me what was wrong and that I didn't look okay. Um, something me and my mom, we always do at Christmas time. Um, we're like a really, we're like a really white family, like we like baking Christmas cookies. Um, <laughs> and my sister like argues and is like, I'm 15, I hate you. And my mom's like, go to your room. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's like a natural like family dynamic. Um, <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, usually like that, we laugh, we talk about things and everything, and I guess I was so spaced out or whatever, she kept asking me, she's like, what is wrong? What is wrong? You don't look okay. And I guess it bothered her so much that um, she did this really cute little gesture. She said, when you come over tomorrow, like to was like pick up like mail or something, I don't know what it was. She was like, I have a present for you. And I said, okay. I said, is it a surprise? I don't like surprises because those always end up like really bad. <laughs> she was like, no, no, it's nothing like that. It's like a tangible thing. I was like, cool. So I went over there and um, I had always wanted one of those little vintage glass um, light up Christmas trees like from the 50s. And she had one and I said, I really liked it. She said, I bought this for you because I just wanted to see you smile a little bit because you haven't seemed like you were okay lately. And she said, is there anything you want to talk about? Like, is there anything not okay? And I was just like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what it is. I don't know if I'm okay or not. I'm not, I don't know. Um, I also started having my nightmares of hell again. And I'd wake up in terror a few times a night sometimes, and I'd wake up in tears and couldn't go back to sleep. And I also developed a fear of death again, so much that even if I stopped really hard at a stoplight, and not that I would crash into the back of the car, but say something like that were to happen, you know, I was, I was really scared. Like, what if that just killed me? I would have just gone to hell. I would have just died. Where would I have gone? Like, that was clouded everywhere, anything that I did. Um, in a desperate need to cope, I turned to unhealthy things, such as using food for comfort. Um, I already eat a lot anyway, but I mean like in like an unhealthy kind of way. Um, I started spending a lot of money, which I'm already not the best at with anyway, because I already spent a lot of money to begin with. But then like it kind of became a lot worse. Um, but the worst of all was um, I started to use alcohol sometimes to numb my pain. And all of these events, came to an end um, on a cold night in January one night when I finally couldn't take it anymore and sit at home with my thoughts. And I went out and I drank too much alcohol in combination with my psychiatric medications that I already take for an illness that I already battle with. And the effects led to an event that caused me to go to jail for a couple days. Um, things started to get better after that. And as cliche as this is gonna sound, um, my hope actually it really came from Jesus and his teachings. 
Because the one thing I would do when I was going through all these bad things is I always wanted an answer, and I would just sit and pick the Bible apart at home all day long, just all day long, try to find an answer, try to find how these things aren't true, everything's going to be okay. And those are the foundations of what brought me to him and what gives me my hope. Because since that time, whenever I need an affirmation, he gave it to me in the way that doesn't fit into the world's standards, just like he didn't fit into the world's standards. I needed answers, and though I could find black and white answers in the Bible, he showed me everything's not so black and white, and it's not set in stone. And that was making a lot of things really difficult that he already had in mind, and he already kind of took care of, and already knows this is okay. I needed someone to stand with me when I was oppressed, and he was there because he led me out of this, and he showed me the world was wrong about the judgments it had against me, and be able to sit in peace with this, not always knowing the end results. If you need a safe place to go to, then go to him. He understands you and has been in your shoes more than you know, at least in my experience, because the world didn't understand him or accept him either, and because they couldn't fit him in a box, he calls fear of the unknown, just like for some of us. I had to learn to build myself and my faith on a, solid, on a solid foundation like he talked about, and that's one of the best things that anybody can ever do, in my opinion. I have an amazing man now in my life that was created just for me and sent to me at the right time, and he fits my heart like a puzzle piece. Um, I have an amazing mom who once fully didn't accept to now, be, to now being the person who laughs and tells stories with me while we pick out my wedding colors and she tells me what a great day it's gonna be and how they're gonna be the very first people there for me. Um, I have a dad who will protect and sacrifice for me at any cost. I also now have a very supportive work environment, people who have helped me heal along the way. Um, you are loved and accepted just as you are by God. If not, I wouldn't be where I am today with all the blessings I have, and the proof is in the results. And just something that I would want to say to any of you, if I could leave any of you with anything, is I want to say that I do see a lot of you, the pain in your eyes and your confusions that you go through right now. Um, maybe you've just come out. Maybe you're still a little confused or discovering or you don't know. I see you and God sees you, and he hasn't forgot about you, just like he didn't forget about me. He just had to transition me in the right way, and he'll do the same thing for you. The one advice I can give you that I've really learned this year that has really helped me with anything that I go through is just to learn to sit in peace and listening from him when you're in the unknown because that's where the most beautiful things are going to grow from because they did for me. So please don't ever give up hope. I'm a living example of this in front of you. As a gay man about to get married, standing on a church stage talking about God, if there is a place for me in this life, then I believe there is also a place for all of you as well. I was told by the time, I was told many times by uh, church leaders when I was younger that my struggles at that time would be worth it because I would dedicate my life to God and I'd have a wonderful testimony one day. Well, you know what? I finally got that wonderful testimony. It just may not be the exact one that they pictured. It was the one that God had for me instead. So I'm going to do something really cliche. Can I hear the church say amen? Amen. I'm going rogue. I'm making him stay up here for a second. Okay, so I apologize to everyone that I didn't make him go last uh, because you crushed it. Way to go. Um, two things. Uh, I'm going to steal a part of your story to talk about something that I'm that gives me hope. Um, just the fact that your parents or your mom like changed. like That's amazing. I hope that people in the world can do that, can be open to listening and understanding 
And uh, I don't know, that's a big reason why I think our church exists, is to be like this loving force that helps to change minds instead of like a, you know, that helps to change minds. <laughs> Although some, never mind. Uh, anyway, that gives me hope. Number two, you probably can't tell by looking at us, but today was actually like pride dress-up day. And I heard you say something this morning that I wanted you to share about your shirt. Oh. <laughs> Here, talk, talk into the microphone, though. Thank you. That's awesome. Oh, okay. So I intended to wear at least like my tie dye shirt, and then I forgot. So I did not understand the assignment. But this next speaker definitely understood the assignment, as the kids say on TikTok. Um, and I'm really proud of this this slide. Hannah, can you throw it up? Give it up for the spectacular Rachel Santos. Come on up here. Look at that! Yeah! Woohoo! Hi, um, I'm Rachel. Good to see you all. I've been with Different Church for just a little bit over a year, and I am the designated Pride Fairy today. So I'm very thankful to be here and have an opportunity to both celebrate Pride and also talk a little bit about myself with you guys. So. Um, as we're, you know, really in the spirit of Pride today, and we're also talking about hope, I thought it would be appropriate if I shared a little bit about the history of Pride. Um, so this message, um, I'm going to share a little blurb uh, from a co-worker of mine um, that wrote this little piece on the history. So I want to share a little bit about Pride. Did you know that there's a reason that we celebrate in June on the very last weekend of the month? Let me tell you a story about what happened in New York on the last week of June 1969. But before we talk about that, we need to set the stage. In short, prior to this time, gay bars were illegal. Dressing as the opposite sex was illegal and people were jailed for doing just that. And not only were they arrested, but their names and faces were shown on newspapers to publicly shame them. And they were often beaten, humiliated, and frankly, their lives were ruined. Ironically, the mob also often owned a lot of the gay bars because uh, they knew that there was a steady stream of income there and they were the ones that were able to pay off the cops. Um, a little bar in New York's Greenwood Village, famously known as the Stonewall Inn, uh, was one such place. So June 28, 1969, the raids were frequent as they usually were, but this one didn't go as planned. Um, the drag queens, which were usually the ones that were most likely to get arrested because of their dress, fought back and they began a several night riot and prompted world recognition of what we know as the gay liberation movement. Our history is more dense than a public paragraphs and really swept under the rug usually with you know all the corporate rainbow washing and there, but there are real people who fought and died for what we have today and there's a reason that we celebrate Pride each year. 
Each year, we have to commemorate the sacrifices and fight of those who worked so hard for the things that we take for granted today. There are people like Marsha P. Johnson, Leslie Feinberg, and Harvey Milk, and we can't forget that that's why we celebrate this month. Now, I'm gonna kinda speak on my own. That was the quote. Um, <laughs> we've come such a long way from then, right? And in our life that we have now would feel completely impossible to someone that was living in 1969. I'm sure that there were people back then that were gay but just felt like they would have to hide forever and didn't even bother to fight, you know? They didn't think we would make it this far. They thought that they would have to hide forever and they frankly could never imagine a day where they would be, even be able to hold hands with someone in public that they loved. A day where they could get legally married? A day where they'd have like a whole month to celebrate and rainbows decorating the streets. And yet, even if they didn't really believe it was gonna happen, they still didn't really surrender either. They had hope for a better day and a better future where they didn't have to hide. And they used their hope as a tool to stand up for what they believed in, even if they were publicly beaten, shamed, and arrested. Doesn't that, doesn't that kind of sound like someone else we know, like someone named Jesus that was publicly beaten and killed? Um, so, but they continued to fight for a better tomorrow. Even if they didn't see that progress right then, they still had the hope. And there's a lot that's going on right now that hurts too, right? It, it feels impossible. I mean, I know we've all seen what's going on in the news with like things like the Don't Say Gay Bill and the overturning of Roe v. Wade and harmful theology. Like, There's a lot of stuff that can hurt us in this world and I know it's exhausting and I know it feels like we're moving backwards and sometimes you just don't like, why are we talking about hope today, you know? But I, I believe that having hope is a necessity because having hope is what, what drives us to make the world better. And as a gay woman, I never thought that I would find a church that would accept me. I didn't even really know that that was a thing. I didn't, I didn't know that this existed. I assumed that I had to pick one. Like I could, I could either be the church girl and say amen and like go to, go to my little Bible studies, but I would have to marry a man or be a nun. <laughs> I could be this radical, liberal, feminist, queer woman that ran the streets and burned Bibles and, you know, like, I didn't think there was, like, a place for, for me to be me. Um, and when my therapist actually suggested, like, you know, why don't, why don't you find an affirming church? I was like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know? I didn't think that this existed at all. And yet, here I am today, and I'm not two different people. I am a queer woman, and I'm also a churchgoer. I am both, I am here, and I am celebrating pride, and I am also worshiping God. And I'm only able to do so because three people were brave enough to start this church, and I had enough hope to put myself out there and take a risk on being myself and finding a place where I could belong. So my challenge for you is to take a minute today and ask yourself what you're hoping for. You can write it down or reflect on it or whatever you need to do. But even if it seems far-fetched or impossible, really our future is only as bright as we allow it to be. And if you look back on just a few years, like gay marriage has only been legal for seven years. So, I mean, if we can get this far and 
in seven years, like think about where we can be in another seven. Is what, is what you think impossible really that impossible? Um, so here, here are a few things I'm hopeful for today. Uh, today I'm hoping for more faith communities where people, all roads of life, can explore together. We've already come a long way. My first pride in 2018, there was only one church uh, in the parade, and I saw like four today. That was pretty cool. Um, and, or yesterday, I guess, but you know. Um, I'm hoping for safer futures for our children in our schools. I'm hoping for more queer people of faith to be able to feel confident in themselves and comfortable enough to explore their true identities. We've obviously got a long way to go to make dreams a reality, and usually the simple act of prayer isn't really enough to fix the whole world, but the more time we spend reflecting on our hopes, the more transparent our decision-making will become, and we can use that to seek out those like-minded and take action. So, happy Pride! You rock. Yay. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, you, you gave me a little hope, too, talking about uh, seven years, and if we've come this far in seven years, like, sometimes it's, it's tough, and you feel like things aren't going the way you want them to go. But we've come that far already, even if we take tiny steps back here and there. Like, I believe that, you know, the trajectory is like this, right? Even if we do this for a second, then we're getting back to this. All right, so if we believe that together, we can do it, right? Yeah. Um, whenever we were first starting the church, um, like Rachel said, um, we wanted to be a church that was like open and accepting to everybody. It was, you know, she was like, I didn't know if I could go to a church and be myself. And we, we wanted to be that. We were trying to think like, we want to be for everybody. Is there anybody that we wouldn't accept in here? And we, we came up with non iPhone users. Yeah, and you'd think it was like arbitrary, but I've never had my iPad like update and reset right before I had to speak. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> so just kidding. We love you. We love you. Okay, um, we have one more speaker. Uh, this person is part of my small group in Tampa. Raise your hand if you're in the Tampa small group. Woo! Shout out. Uh, we're going to start small groups up again in like mid-July, so be on the lookout for that. We got Tampa, St. Pete, and an online one. Cool, so you should sign up for whichever one works for you. Uh, but the Tampa one is the best one, mostly because of this next speaker. Give it up for Milo! Thanks for all the applause, you guys. Wow, it's bright up here. I understand what you're always, always talking about. <laughs> Um, I'm Milo, I'm a transgender man, uh, and I didn't really want to come to this church at all. I didn't want to, <laughs> I, I didn't want to come to any church uh, based on, you know, all the, all the trauma and stuff. I'm from Georgia originally, and it was just a really crappy time, but uh, my wife is really into the community aspect of church and all that vibe, and uh, I was like, you go first, you test it out, and I'll see how that goes. And uh, she came back and loved it, and I was like, you know, you're the human that I trust most in the world, right? So I was like, I guess I'll show up for <laughs> a second. And uh, I don't know, I haven't stopped coming yet, so I really like it here. Um, so I'll just jump in. 
Uh, I want to preface this by saying that I feel like hope is so important with um, having healthy self-esteem. I didn't think I was going to live past 17, and I I didn't want to. I was going through a lot of stuff uh, at home. My parents, I thought, would be affirming based on experience that I had heard of my friends from school had uh, like oh you know my, my mom's cool with it it's all good I was like huh my parents have been you know mostly great up until this point I'm sure mine will be fine too boy was I wrong uh yeah so I I don't know I was a pretty good kid I, I made straight A's a couple B's here and there but I was kind of like a prisoner in my own house if that makes sense I wasn't allowed to hang out with people anything like that um, so I learned a lot about culture and and just social aspects of life really really late uh, probably early 20s um, yeah uh, and uh, going back to that, growing up, my parents always told me that I could do anything that I put my mind to, and uh, it was always cheesy and forced, and I hated it. Uh, I'm not sure they themselves truly believed what they were saying at the time, and of course, my self-esteem was so low back then, I didn't really believe any of that kind of conversation. It made me extremely uncomfortable because I came to feel as though it was more a mockery as opposed to a valid sentiment um, coming from loving parents. Especially when, fast forward to scouting for colleges, my dad, my strongest ally at the time, had said, I don't think you're ready for college. Um, And I always always use analogies to express explain things they they don't always go so well but i'll say like when you're playing a sport you're trying not to lose but more importantly you're trying not to let the opponent get into your head um and my dad very much got into my head with those words unfortunately um so many failed attempts at college later and uh After I recovered from that debilitating blow to my self-esteem, I was able to make a promise to myself. And that promise was that I would do whatever I could to become a successful, my parents' definition of successful adult. Um, So I began to shift my frame of mind and my pattern of thinking, although that shift was still in its very early stages. It wasn't hope yet, but more of a challenge. Failure wasn't an option for me. It was a lot of a lot of determination, plain and simple. Um, these types of promises to myself continued to grow and evolve as time went on. And um, I will caveat that to say that I would I would destroy my body, my mental health, anything to to put in the work required to to reach my goals. Although myself wasn't really the priority in those instances, my goal was my priority. Um, So my accomplishments, if I failed at one thing, I came to understand that uh, I was gaining confidence through those failures. Uh, I was slowly realizing that I am capable of of many things and that we all are. Um, A no today is a yes tomorrow or in a few years if you can remain dedicated to that. Um, And a good example of this is when I was going through the process of getting my my name changed in in Georgia, 
I have to, uh, you know, you have to go to the, maybe you don't know, you have to go to the social security office and get all that stuff uh, squared away so they, they're, they understand that you're not trying to commit fraud or anything like that. So the first person I spoke with was like, no, you can't do this. I see you have these other documents with you, but you can't do this, you need something else that had contradicted everything I had I had read or heard about or learned up until that point. So I went home defeated and I was like, I was thinking in my head, well, what if I just, what if I just go again? What if I just go back? Maybe I'll talk to somebody different, see how that goes. And um, every it was a smooth process. It went exactly the way it was supposed to go the first day I showed up. So. Um, that was a really cool thing, and if I hadn't even, if I had just give, kind of given up and shrugged my shoulders at that point, I wouldn't have been able to accomplish that goal. Um, yeah, so through trial and much error, I no longer put my physical and mental health on the back burner, and most of that I can say I can thank my wife for that, for trying to like stop prioritizing it so much, stop uh, hurting yourself over this. You know, you'll get there when you get there. Kind of, kind of talks. Um, after my first deployment, uh, all those material accomplishments kind of lost their luster because up until that point, what was it? Maybe 2016. Everything that I had been trying to achieve, I was achieving to kind of prove my, my parents wrong, um, as opposed to going after and figuring out in the first place what my personal view of success was and what it looked like. Um, while I was on that deployment, though, I had seen hope in a people with God literally written into their language. You can't say hello without saying the word God. Uh, in a people trapped in decades of war in their own neighborhoods, in their backyards, and uh, their appreciation for the little things, truly, not the cliche American quotes about it, were very apparent in the way that these people lived. To find hope and happiness when your home is in ruins, I knew that I was living an unfulfilled life somehow. I didn't know where that was coming from, but I knew that, that I was living my life wrong. because. I mean, where was hope at that point? It wasn't there. It really wasn't until I began to study Buddhism in tandem with my Christianity that I could really wrap my mind around hope and faith. Uh, the hope of each day, each minute was broken down to me through, through Buddhist text in a way that made sense to me. And I began to look at hope as it is mentioned in the Bible through a Buddhist lens. And that helped me cope with the years of like Baptist Christian trauma um, associated with Christianity. I don't know that I had what you would consider hope until I reflected retrospectively on the, on the years behind me. While it wasn't easy and I did put in a lot of work and effort, there's no way that even my mental health, never mind my material success um, and, and self-esteem could have improved without some form of divine intervention. There's, there's no way I could have made it to where I am otherwise. Um, so I'll, I'll share a story. Many times, the very last application that I will send to a job with, with a little prayer, like, I know I'm not supposed to pray to you for material things, but I really need this job or else I can't provide to my family type of things. Um, that, that's normally the one that calls me back. So the, the very last option I have, they, they tend to be the ones that call me back. Um, 
So I've been told no a lot. Uh, and I'm not afraid of being told no anymore. Um, I'm not afraid of failure. My self-esteem is thankfully the highest it's been. And a strong belief in the possibility of who I can be to others in many different spaces. Something impossible for me today could be possible tomorrow. Anything could happen. Anything could change in your favor. Somebody with more power than I have is clearly looking out for me. Um, yeah, and, and hope is something that I could only find in retrospect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you all for getting up here and speaking. That was fabulous. Every time we do a biography, I'm like, it's going to be good. And then at the end, I'm like, it was so good. I'm like sitting behind the curtain, crying my eyes out, which is great because now I have to talk for a couple minutes. Um, I am just going to share a story with you about my own life and about hope. And it very much ties into like why different church exists. So I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes and then we're going to go to Pride. Okay. Now, all of y'all know, if you've been around for any length of time, that I have anxiety. <laughs> or rather, sometimes anxiety has me. <laughs> um, and I, even with that, though, like I've always been a pretty hopeful person. Like I generally try to look for the positive in things. I think things are generally going to work out. I'm an optimist. I'm not a pessimist. Some people find that very annoying. Um, like if the glass is only half full, like I'm completely convinced that at some point in the near future, it will be overflowing. Like, it's gonna happen. There's silver linings everywhere. Like, we just have to look for them. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great, you guys. And um, life did not really agree with that for a bit <laughs> in my life. So I maintain that 2019 was the hardest year of my life. Still, like I maintain that 2019 was harder than uh, 2020 with its global pandemic. And I was pregnant most of 2020 and sick every day for nine months and 2019 was worse. Um, I, in 2021, I had an infant who never stopped crying. And also I had to drag her with me to the law firm where I worked every day, which she hated. And also I hated, and every day we had tears from both of us. And 2019 was worse. Um, mo some of you know this story, but if you don't, like at the end of 2018, Josiah and I had been trying for a while to have a baby and I got pregnant and I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be a like this is a Christmas miracle. And then like three weeks later, um, I had a miscarriage. And it wasn't just like, there's no such thing as a normal miscarriage, but it was not a normal miscarriage, it was an atopic pregnancy, meaning that this baby was growing in this two millimeter tube that connects your ovary to your uterus. And if it gets big enough, it will rupture your tube, which could rupture your artery that's right there, and then you die. Like there is no way that this has a happy ending. And the only treatment option at that time is to either like remove the tube surgically or sometimes you can be a candidate to take chemo medication to dissolve what's in your tube. Um, and they were like, we think we can get it with the chemo medication. So they gave me a shot and I was like, dang, I don't know how people take more than one of these because I'll, it laid me out. Um, and then it did not work. <laughs> so they gave me another shot and they're like, if this doesn't work, we're gonna like draw your blood every few days for the next month. And if it doesn't start going, these numbers don't start going down, then we're gonna have to do surgery. Well, it did start going down, thankfully. Um, but I was basically on bed rest until April. Like I could go to work, but nothing strenuous. And they were like really serious about it. They were like, don't lift anything over five pounds. Don't get your heart rate up because if you do anything, then just, you know, your tube could rupture and you could die. So just like, 
lovely. Just like have that hanging over your head at all times. Like, oh, am I picking something up? Will it kill me? I don't know. Um, And I also could not handle any of my emotions around that topic, especially because that was the baby I had prayed for for so long. And so I sat still, like from New Year's Day to April, I just sat still and I watched a lot of TV, which I highly enjoyed. But like mostly I was just ignoring my emotions because I couldn't even think about it. I couldn't even, couldn't do it. But wait, there's more. Um, So then around Easter in 2019, the church I was working for as an associate pastor decided to be categorically not affirming. Um, Like, we're going to make people sign statements of faith and contracts about personal conduct not affirming. Um, And for a while, I thought I was going to lose my job. And it was not as simple as just, oh, well, if you don't agree with them, just quit. Like, some people did say that to me, and I was like, well, thank you for being a giant jerk. Like, it is not that simple. First of all, I need this job to pay my bills. Second of all, I really love those people. In fact, I still love them. It still breaks my heart, the way that everything went down. Um, They had been a part of my life the entire time Josiah and I had been married, like pretty much from the beginning. I had given up a good, well-paying job in the auto insurance industry to go make half less than half of the money to be an associate pastor, which I wanted to do. Like I wanted to do that, but I had even surrendered my insurance license to the state of Florida, which meant I couldn't just be like, oh, well, I could just go back and do insurance again, because then I had to take a class and pay all this money, and like it, like it just wasn't going to work. And underneath all of that, I really wanted my church to be better. I really wanted them to do better. I could not accept that that is what a faith space that I loved was turning into. And Jarrett, who had been there for even longer than I had, had a crazy idea to start our own church. And I told him he was nuts. And he was like, no, no, it'll be great. You can be the pastor. (laughs) And so we compromised and agreed to pray about it for three months. And at the beginning, I was like, yeah, let's pray about it for three months. And he was like, cool, let's pray about it for three months. And at the end of three months, I was like, we should do it. And he was like, oh, no. Now we have to do it. (laughs) And like from, so that was like Easter, March, April time in 2019. And we kind of prayed about it till July. And literally, I was already having like nighttime, I wouldn't call them panic attacks, but like I would wake up every night with like my heart racing, like feeling like I couldn't breathe because I had a miscarriage and I was like afraid of dying. And then all of this extra stuff was added on. And I woke up for literally every night for the entire year, panicking between 2 and 3 a.m. Like, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't go back to sleep for hours. And the situation didn't really get any better. Like, just when we had decided the different church did need to exist around the end of July, um, the situation at our jobs that had kind of been, like, just simmering (laughs) decided to implode. Explode? It was a terrible, no good messed up very bad day (laughs) and like it's just great for someone with anxiety to be like oh no what you're afraid of is happening (laughs) um and like we it was a mess we were not so kindly as to leave uh my ordination was revoked immediately um we couldn't say goodbye to anyone we couldn't talk to anyone we were just like there one sunday and gone the next like poof magically god made them disappear And, like, we just kept going. 
Like, I don't, I don't really, like, you ever have a hard time in your life and you look back and you're like, I don't, it was then that God carried me with the one steps. <laughs> like, it had to be God because I literally don't know how it happened otherwise. Like, I, we got, we were like, okay, we're going to dust ourselves off. Like, I found a job at a law firm. Jarrett was like, I'm going to start my own freelance company. And then we filed for our articles of incorporation for a different church. And we applied to be a nonprofit, which is kind of a nightmare. But, like, I don't know how to do any of this. We just figured it out because we wanted a different church to exist. And we had like small group meetings every couple of weeks. There were like 10 people total. And we were like, should a different church exist? Well, I think it should. How do we make it exist? I don't know, but we're doing it. <laughs> and I, the whole time, I was like very convinced that we were doing what we needed to be doing. And I was so anxious. I literally like wasn't breathing most of the time. Like you ever just notice that you're not breathing deeply? or even normally, you're just like really shallow breath all the time. I couldn't sleep. My stomach hurt constantly. Um, we went to Halloween Horror Nights, which I love, by the way. I hate horror movies, but I love Halloween Horror Nights because it's not real, y'all. <laughs> and I literally, I had a panic attack on the way there. And the only way I made it through that night was my friend like force fed me some CBD gummies. And then we topped it off with a pina colada from Pat Fat Tuesdays. Which, as a disclaimer, I am not recommending for treatment of anxiety. <laughs> okay? <laughs> it, but that is the only way I made it through that night. And that was like October. And then my in-laws came to town, and we were like at John's Pass on Madeira Beach, like hanging out. And there's a place that sells wine slushies, <laughs> which now give me a headache because I'm old. But at the time, I was like, oh, yes, this is delightful. I was having a great day. Like, I was laughing. I was hanging out with my family. And Josiah, bless his heart, was like, I it's really good to see you happy and smiling because it's been a really long time. And he didn't mean that in any kind of negative, like, harmful sense. He, meant, he was, like, genuinely happy that I was having a good day, which broke my heart. And now I have emotions. <clears throat> I'm not apologizing for them. <sighs> it, it really, I was like, I... That day, it took me a few weeks to like get myself together, but it took me a few weeks, I was like, I, something has to give, because I literally, I can't exist like this. I'm spending 100% of my energy just trying to be alive. And so I found this EMDR therapist, which EMDR, if you don't know, is like a scientifically proven technique to process trauma, specifically developed for PTSD survivors, like for the military, it really works. Um, and, but the therapist was like, hey, what's your goal here? in one of our first sessions. She's like, what do you want out of this? And I was like, I really just want to have hope again. Like, I feel like I don't have any. I feel like what we are doing doesn't matter. I feel like this is pointless. I feel like I'm never gonna have a family that I want because my stupid body doesn't work. <laughs> like, it, can't, it doesn't do the one thing it was designed to do, which is grow a baby, it can't do it. So I was at war with my body, I was at war with my mind because I was spending all of my energy uh, just trying to manage my anxiety and also make sure no one knew that I was spending all of my energy managing anxiety. I was at war with my soul because like, what, if this is what God wanted me to do, then why did it hurt so damn much? We kept going. <laughs> we just kept going, that's what you do, right? You're every day you're like, I can't do this and then you keep doing it because. <laughs> you, I just want you to know that you'll have a 100% success rate so far when you're like, I can't do this, you did it. 
you already did it. You're still here. Every, every bad day you have ever had, you killed. You survived it. Um, like we got approved for a nonprofit status. Our dear friend Bree found us this space at the opera company, which had already told other churches, no, we won't rent space to you. And they let us come here. Um, I processed through painfully what happened with everything that happened at the beginning of the year and the miscarriage and like almost dying and like, I didn't want to cry every time I thought about it, which was a big improvement. And then we started different church. And before our official first Sunday on May 1st in 2020, we had a couple practice services. It's like, what the heck are we doing? Um, so on February 1st of 2020, that was actually our first service. And there was like 12 people. Um, and I have no idea what I spoke on. <laughs> I just remember that I was so nervous that like my knees were like, and like, I can speak in front of people. I'm not, it doesn't make me nervous, but like the weight of what we were doing, I was like, I can't do this. We're never, this is never gonna work. I don't know what we're doing. And just, I was like, can you breathe, please? And <laughs> like, you're kind of scaring me. And it went fine. I don't remember. I was nervous. I don't remember. <laughs> it obviously went fine. Some people came back. <laughs> um, and then after that night, Josiah and I went to the beach to watch the sunset. And we had our little chairs and we were sitting there and we were watching the sunset. And I was so overwhelmed. And then just like for the first time in ages, I suddenly realized I had hope. And it felt like, you know, like a really good hug. Like it was like a tangible, physical feeling of like, whoa, like even though if you have a flower, like if you garden, I don't because I kill everything. But like the idea of gardening is if you plant something, it like really struggles and it like pushes through the soil and it like slowly grows this little green shoot and then it grows and grows and grows and then it blooms. But really it was growing the whole time. You just didn't notice until the flower is like, bam, you're going to be happy. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, there was a pandemic immediately, <laughs> a small monkey wrench. And I got pregnant, which was terrible. I mean, it was great, but also I hated it. <laughs> like, I really want to have another baby. I just want to, I don't want to have to have another baby because <laughs> that sucked for nine months. Um, and then, of course, I had a newborn who did not like being alive. <laughs> she did not agree to such things, and she cried a lot, and she was very uncomfortable with life. And it has not been easy ever since. Like, I'm not gonna be like, oh, and that one night I had hope, and then everything was magical. <laughs> no, it still sucked. <laughs> but the hope hasn't gone away. Like, I am one zillion percent <laughs> convinced that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing, that we're here for a reason. Um, you all give me hope. Like every time I see your face on Sunday morning, you give me hope. Every time I get to hold space for someone who's like working through their church trauma and trying to connect to God, that gives me hope. Like marching in the pride parade yesterday gave me hope. I can't even tell you how many people like looked at our sign, they were like, huh, and then they were like, oh, oh. <laughs> They were like, a church, a church, a church? <laughs> I even saw one guy elbow another person, and he was like, that's, the, that's that place I was, I guess, it, I was kind of reading his lips, but it sounded something like, I guess they meant it. <laughs> Side note, I have to tell you this story because it makes me feel fabulous. Uh, yesterday, on the way to check in for our parade area, I ran into a Jesus person, question mark? He had, they hadn't, they didn't do their full setup. They weren't megaphoning anyone. 
he just had some stuff he was passing out. And he was like, hey, do you want some reading material? And me, being a non-confrontational person that I am, I was like, sure, I'll take that and chuck it in the trash. But I looked at it, and it said repentance. <laughs> and then a lot of very small print. And I was just like, I was debating like, oh, well, I kind of want to give it back to you. Because A, I don't want it. And B, like, I'm sure you spent someone's misinformed donation dollars on this. So, like, do you just keep it? And someone else can throw it away for you. Um, and he was like, do you know what repentance means? And I, I was like, I'm a pastor. And it broke his brain. <laughs> like, I literally, he was like, huh, like, couldn't, he like almost choked. And for a full five seconds, we stared at each other. Because his script training did not, it did not, first of all, tell him that a pastor would be a pride. It said, second of all, did not tell him a woman, a woman would ever, like, he could not. And then his response was, uh, well, uh, but do you know what repentance means? And I just said, no, thank you. And I walked away because don't feed the trolls. That gave me some hope, y'all. <laughs> He's never, he was at a pride event and clearly had no idea. Like, what? Okay, that was a side note. Um, seamless segue. We always want to share the hope. So, if you don't know this, one of the ways we try to do this is any donations that we receive to help us exist and keep making a safe space for everyone. We take 10% off the top, we put it in a separate account. Um, we, don't op we don't use that money for operating expenses, we save it up and then we donate it back into our community. We're not gonna ask y'all to be generous if we're not being generous, that feels fake. Um, and so we've been saving for quite a while, specifically so we could make some donations during June for Pride Month. And so we made four donations this month, and I'm gonna tell you about them because they're very exciting. Okay, first of all, we donated $1,000 to Metro Inclusive Health. They do incredible work. We have supported them for three years running. I don't see that stopping anytime soon. They're amazing. They provide like inclusive healthcare. It's in the name. Um, <laughs> second, we donated $500 to the LGBTQ Resource Center that is housed at the Gulfport Library. That is a nonprofit that uh, collects work, it's the only one in Florida, it is a collection of books, poetry, mixed media, art, all of like paintings, all of that from queer people that are available for anyone to check out at any time. Um, and with our donation, most likely, from what I've heard from them, they are going to sponsor a trans person to come and paint pictures of queer children, which is beautiful. Third, we donated $500 to Needy Kitty Rescue, which is a lesbian-owned, founded kitten rescue in Pinellas County that has saved 3,500 kittens, okay, from little baby kittens. They have to be bottle-fed. And then they have adopted them and they've found their, like, their lovey forever homes. Um, and then fourth, we donated $500 to the Tampa Bay Gay Men's Choir because we like the arts and also it's so necessary for spaces like that to exist and for people to find community, et cetera. All of the organizations we support fall in line with our values. We value equitability in healthcare. Metro Inclusive Health is an amazing resource. We value education and the LGBTQ Resource Center collects queer-made media for free for people to check out. 
we value the earth and God's creatures and needy kitty rescue. Make sure we'll help us baby kitties find their homes. In the arms of the angels. You want some emotions? I'll give you some. I know none of you care about people, but when the dogs come on, everyone's crying. <laughs> and we value the arts. And the gay men's choir makes phenomenal music. And all of that gives me hope. I, I can't wait to see what we do with the rest of the year. I can't wait to pass out stickers today and also a little bit of God's love at the festival and like show people that like, uh, Jesus didn't say that, isn't like that, and disagrees <laughs> with the people who say that he is. So I just want to say, I'm going to quit talking, but like, thank you all for being here. I thank you for supporting us with your presence, with your donations, with your stories. Thank you for getting up on stage to all of our speakers. Thank you for making Different Church a safe space for all people to explore faith in Jesus. Like, we, you are why I'm here. You'll while continue to be here until someone drags me off the stage screaming. I am grateful for you. Now, another seamless segue. This is over, okay? <laughs> the Pride Party started a little while ago. Central Avenue is closed for 10 blocks, okay? So from 21st, which is like right here on this road, all the way down almost to Punky's. It's 10 blocks, that's almost a mile. It's a lot of Pride. There are we booths. The different church booth, if you are A, volunteering, or B, just wanna come get a sticker and hang out with us, is way down at the end. We are directly in front of Hawthorne Bottle Shop. Uh, we are in the 2900 block. So if you're not good at math, this is 21. You gotta add nine. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. We have, I saved a couple of St. Peter's different stickers on our stuff center back there that are, will not be handed out. So if you don't have one, get one back there. Um, you can donate if you wanna help us keep exist. Help us keep exist. <laughs> I had a lot of caffeine this morning, and I'm going to tell you it is not enough after yesterday's parade parade. I'm tired. Okay. Uh, I guess we should pray. <laughs> Dear Lord, um, thanks for pride. Thanks for, thanks for empowering us to not hide who we are. Thank you for not giving up on us when we give up on ourselves. Thank you for literally experiencing what it means to be human so that we know it's okay to be human. And in fact, not just okay, but good and valuable. And I just pray that you will help us continue to make a space that stands against all of the crap that religion has said about you and instead puts forth the one thing that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is true, that you are love. And anyone who loves is from God. And anyone who does not love is not from God. May we put forth good fruit. The end. Amen. I guess I should say amen, but <laughs> amen. Bye.